So this is the second time that we take a look at the book of Revelation, or like the second session. And I'll try to summarize what we talked about last week and uh, last session, which was several weeks ago, uh, in just a couple of words. The book of Revelation is the only book in the New Testament which is prophetic, in the sense that it is speaking about events in the past, in the present, but also in the future. It's the only predictive book in the New Testament. Um, and so a lot of what's written in the book of Revelation has to do with things in the past, things in the present, but also things in the future. And um, as though that was not, you know, confusing enough, it's... Uh, very sim uh, there are a lot of things that are um, spoken of in metaphors or in similes or in, uh, in um, I don't want to say symbols, but for the lack of a better word, symbols. And as if that wasn't confusing enough, it's not in chronological order. So um, it's not like the stuff that is happening in Revelation chapter one is at the beginning and the stuff that happens in Revelation ch chapter 22 is at the end. And we as human beings, for the most part, we keep track of things and we order our lives chronologically. I remember what I, what I did yesterday, what I'm doing today, what I'm going to do tomorrow. My taxes are filed by year, by months, you know, uh, and so on. My bank statements, same thing, you know, like I get them, I open the mail. And I file them. Otherwise, I just have a you know I just have a, a mayhem of in, information, and I wouldn't know, I wouldn't be able to access it, and I wouldn't be able to make connections between things, right? Of course, for God, that none of that is the case, right? God does not need doesn't organize things chronologically because He lives in the eternal moment of now. He's outside of time. God isn't limited to a filing system, and if he all of a sudden changes the filing system, he loses track of things, right? Like, none of that makes any sense to God, right? So God is not limited to us. So when God is speaking with us, he may or may not adhere to our sort of, like, very earthly and man-made ways of, of organization. And in this case, he certainly does not. So then how is the book of Revelation ordered well it's very interesting it starts it starts off in the present for saint john who is almost unanimously agreed upon as the author of the book saint john the apostle um, and it ends with him being in the present also saying come lord jesus christ come so he is again in the present right and in between, he goes to as far back as creation and paradise and the fall. And he goes to the end times and the second judgment and the kingdom of heaven afterwards and life on earth currently. And he just and things just go everywhere. Right. So we were saying last week, like the take home message from from last week, other than the spiritual discussion that we had, but the, the kind of the learning point was there are two time points which are really good to keep in mind to help you to ask yourself this question always. When is this happening? What I'm reading right now. Is it happening between 
creation and Jesus' first coming, the incarnation, is it happening between the incarnation and Jesus' second coming, which is like where we are right now, or is it happening after the second coming? Like in the kingdom of heaven, right? And we agreed last week that it last time, sorry, it wasn't last week, that it's not so clear, especially when we're talking about stuff that's going on in the throne room in heaven, because God is outside of time. So it might be in the third category, like, but it could be, it could, it actually could actually be anywhere, right? Because you're like sitting on like, you know, the the bridge of the Starship Enterprise and Star Trek, right? You're sitting in the, in the command center, right? In, in, in the throne room with God, who is outside of time. So maybe, you know, so for sure, but maybe it's just useful to just ask ourselves, when is this happening? So in the first chapter is a very introductory chapter. And St. John sees... God sitting on the throne and he falls as dead before him. And, you know, God rouses him, you know, I think God or an angel uh, rouses him and uh, uh, verse 17, and I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And that's the end of chapter one, which is an introduction for us for chapter two. So what are these seven stars? Well, they're the angels. Of what? Of these seven churches. So the number seven is going to come up a lot. Seven is seen as a complete number. So you can see this. Now we're going to read chapters 2 and 3 together. Um, and uh, they are letters written to seven churches uh, in specific places. Ephesus, Smyrna, Laodicea, Philadelphia, and so on. But they can also be seen, and many of the fathers have commented on this, St. Augustine, uh, se several others as well, that... They can be seen as letters written to the church, capital C, as a whole, to the experience of Christendom, to all Christians everywhere and in all times, right? And they can also be seen as letters written to each person, to each soul, which calls Jesus Christ Lord. So, um, but they were in this time, they were letters written to specific churches, uh, whether they were each church got a letter or each church got uh, uh, like the, the, all seven letters or whether each church got the entire book of Reve the, the entire book of Revelation. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. 
Um, and I, I didn't mention in the introduction last time when we talked, the reason I chose this book is because for one, a lot of people have find it very cryptic and have a lot of, uh, like just don't read the book of Revelation because I never understand what's going on. And then other people, when they read the book of Revelation, are so filled with fear because of a beasts with seven heads and seven thorns and seven crowns and all this stuff that they, you know, are, are, are terrified of it. Other people, when they read the book of Revelation, are so much filled with a desire for the kingdom of God. They just wish to depart right now and go to heaven. So my wish is for all of us to move into that third group of people that that um, read this book and if you read it from beginning to end it'll probably take you about 45 minutes or so and are so deeply filled with a desire to depart and to be in heaven and to be with God forever and to to bask in his glory and to glorify him and to praise him forever so I hope that all of us will kind of you know uh, be there so let's read chapters 2 and 3 together um, um, we can each read probably about five verses or so. Um, and while you're reading it, uh, e to each church, uh, and we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, go through this this meticulously, but each letter is gonna be in three parts. The first part, Jesus is describing himself as something. I am He who. Right? And how he describes himself is probably very relevant to what he's going to say next. Next, he's going to describe the state of the church. And I'm writing this to you who are. Right? And lastly, he's going he's gonna to say a reward. Right? If you, you will get this. So in each one of them, as you know, people are reading, ask yourself, how is Jesus describing himself? What is the state of that church? And what is the reward which he wishes to give them? And then as you're thinking about all of these things, we'll take a minute after we've read through it to ask yourself, who am I? You know, Maybe I'm all seven of these churches, or maybe I'm predominantly two or three of them, and so on, right? Also, as we're going, if there are any words that you don't understand, or you don't get, or whatever, uh, just make a mental note to yourself, or if you need to just put a little dot on the page or something, we'll come back to them, and we'll explain any terms that you, that, because uh, there are, for sure, there are things I have to look up uh, in preparation for today. Sound good? Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, 
from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Write, these things says the first and the last, who, who was dead and has come to life. I know your works, tribulations and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death, the compromising church. And to the angel of the church in Per. Pergamos, right. These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have because you have there, there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balaam to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doc doctrine of Nicolaitan, which thing I hate. Well done. Verse 16. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, written which no one knows except him who receives it. And to the angel of the church in Thetera write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who 
who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what, what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, and I also have received from my father. And I will give them him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church of Miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garment, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye, with eye salve, that you may see, and, may, and many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So... I'll give you all a couple of uh, minutes to just uh, look over the two chapters again quickly and um, pull up any questions you have about uh, terminology or uh, maybe you understand the English but you feel like it's making reference to something and you just don't get what it's making reference to. Um, so we'll get that, that, that all out of the, the way and then we'll start looking at what, what does this mean uh, for us spiritually um, today in our day and age now. Thank you. Okay, so questions. I have a question. Mm hmm. Random. Mm hmm. Um, so in chapter 2, um, verse 17, so he talks about. Um, like they were like a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. What is that all about? 
some reason that just caught, that's the one that resonated with me, that caught my attention. Yeah. So, so the, spi- the spiritual uh, interpretation of that, uh, and I can look up the patristic reference for you. Uh, m- most of my preparation for this comes from Abuna Tadros's book, which is available online. Just to Google Tadros Malati Revelation PDF, and it will come up. Or you can look it up on orthodoxebooks.org. You'll find, you'll find it there, as well as in a multitude of other places. Um, and then a couple of other references, but that's the main, that's the very, the main, main reference. Um, and Father Tadros quotes a few fathers talking about how um, this stone um, uh, is none other but the rock of ages himself, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the name which is given to each one of us is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'd be like, well, that's not a mystery. Like, people who don't even believe in Jesus, like, you know, sometimes, like, they, they almost use it as a swear word or something, right? But they don't know the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who know him will receive the rock of ages himself and receive his name. And his name will become our name. I remember in Sunday school... Um, like I was maybe 13 or 14 or something, as well as all of my peers at the time. And um, our Sunday school servant was trying to tell us that we have, our identity is that we are members of the body of Christ. And that in as much as he is our, he is our head, in as much as we are members of his body, that means we're members of his family. That means we belong to him. And his name was uh, Alphonse. So he said, my name is not Alphonse. And so he said his family name. My name is Alphonse Jesus Christ. And your name is John Jesus Christ and so on. And of course, we were like 14 years old. So we made fun of him like, like endlessly, right? Because that's what 14-year-olds do. But that's what he's saying. He's saying, this is, this is your name. This is your identity. You've become part of... Um, part of not just his family of his body right so this is this has become your name Okay, the key of David, let me tell you. Not at all. This is the Church of Philadelphia. He was holy. Um, he who has the key of David. Um, this is the, the a reference to Isaiah twenty two twelve. Maybe someone can open it for us. Mm-hmm. Twelve, which reads, and in that day the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and for mourning, for baldness and for girding with sackcloth, but 
but instead joy and gladness, slaying of oxen and killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow, for tomorrow we die. Let's, uh, maybe, maybe there was a typo. Um, I see. It. Oh, sorry. Twenty, twenty-two, twenty-two, not twenty-two, twelve. It's a typo. Um, the key of the house of David, I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open, and no one will shut, and he will shut, and no one shall open. There's two references in Isaiah to something being laid on the shoulder of Christ. The other one is uh, when he's describing him and gives him all these names: wonderful counselor, prince of peace. And his government shall be upon his shoulder. What's the only thing we read in, read in the Gospels that Jesus carried on his shoulder? The cross. Yeah. Right? So this is the key, the key of David. And that's what makes him holy. Right? Um, and so St. Cyril and St. Jerome, um, uh, uh, they, they talk about this key of David being the authority to bind and to loose um, that Jesus talks about in Matthew 16 when he's talking to his disciples. And, and we, sit, we pray in, every time we pray the absolution, either in, for communally in the church or during, uh, during confession, said to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, whoever, whomever you forgive shall be forgiven and whomever uh, sins you retain shall be retained and so on. Right? St. John Chrysostom sees that it is the cross with which the Lord opens for us the door of paradise and gets us into the kingdom. It is also what he uses to shut hell and Hades in our face. St. Gregory, the miracle worker, says that this key is holy scripture, especially the prophecies, for the spirit of Jesus who wrote the prophecies is himself alone the one who is able to clarify and to reveal it. So the spirit of Jesus. So it's different patristic. Uh, um, so you see here that even amongst the fathers, there isn't unanimous uh, agreement on uh, on everything um, uh, in the book of Revelation. That's on page 50 of uh, Buna Tadros's book. Mm -hmm. So I was waiting for somebody to ask. Every time I do, I read the book of Revelation, I look it up and every time I forget. So it, it's almost unanimously agreed that they're referring to the people who became followers of um, St. Nicholas the deacon. So remember um, in, uh, in, in the book of Acts, they ordained seven deacons, and the, 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 their leader was St. Stephen. Um, um, and one of them was Nicholas, um, or St. Nicholas. Um, now, um, there's some historical facts which we know. How they came about, and what his hand was in them, and how much of this is like his personal responsibility. There is like different people saying different things. Anyways, we're not here really to pass judgment on anyone, but basically, this is what happened. Apparently, his wife was absolutely stunning. And somehow, in some way, shape, or form, 
That led to all of the people who, or not all of the people, but a lot of people who, uh, you, you know, followed him. Somehow that led to the kind of allowing of sexual immorality. Like, and there's a variety of different stories of, of how that came to be. Um, and some of them include his like participation and some of them say no, he was saying no, that's not okay, but somehow, anyways. So, however that came to be, there are a group of people who are Christian, who are somehow associated to St. Nicholas the Deacon, and they were highly sexually immoral, but like in a legal way. Like we're all brothers and sisters, so it's okay for us to do whatever we do amongst each other and, and so on. Right? And that just became the accepted norm. Right? So you all, like half of you, your eyes are like, like saucers, thinking to yourself, like, in what world would that, would that become, like, legal? You know? Not, like, socially accepted, no, but, like, the teaching that this is, this is okay. It's kind of cultish. You know what I mean? It is a cult. You know? It's kind of, like, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit, uh, like, we've seen that in several kind of uh, cults of, like, the... 90s and early 2000s. Uh, well, Buna Tadros gives some references, you know, and says like this father says it was this and this father says it was that and so on. And it's not the only, it's not the only time this heresy came up, uh, actually, you know. Uh, um, but um, it's obviously, it's really, I don't know like the history of, of it, but it's like, it's, he says like here, so in verse 14, he addressed the, the teaching, the wrong teaching of Balaam, and uh, and he told Balak and stuff like that. And also in in verse fifteen, he says like likewise. He he ended verse fourteen with like um, to send the eight food sacrifice to idols and commit sexual immorality. Likewise, he also had those who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Mm -hmm. So there's like a link of like sexual immoral behavior with these Nicolaitans yeah. or the or their teaching. Right? Yeah, but I don't know what's their story. Is, like and even like if you notice the, 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 the term, like, like he says like, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam um, and who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Like he doesn't say I hate them. He says I hate this doctrine. Right? If you notice like, like, I, we don't want to split hairs here, but you, if you notice, like, although he is the truth, yet he still is full of grace, you know? Like, he doesn't close the door of repentance for these people, you know? <clears throat> but, he, but he's very clear that this doctrine, I hate it. And you have it. Like, there's no, nothing gray about that. Right, and then there's also mention of Jezebel a little bit later in verse uh, chapter two, verse twenty. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, 
and allow the and, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one according to your works and so on who is this Jezebel um, so remember these letters were written to the angel of the church which is understood to be the bishop of that of that church so apparently the bishop of Thyatira his wife at that time most bishops were married not all but most like Timothy was the bishop of Ephesus and he was not married but the bishop of Thyatira was married um, and his wife was a very prominent person in the community and very powerful and she was teaching all kinds of wrong teaching and doing all kinds of funny business but her husband who was the bishop was like a much more mild and gentle person and although he was teaching people the correct faith and telling people the right right from wrong he wasn't stopping her from what she was doing so and you'll notice that in each one of these letters uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is holding the bishop accountable for all the stuff that's going on right whether they are like di directly related or not which is a word of caution for us uh, men in black you know that you know uh, we need to be uh, very caring and vigilant for our our churches and God is expecting us to answer for all of our flock not just those who listen to us you know even those who don't listen to us um, God is, is looking for us will ask us you know about them It's thought that the, yeah that this that there were these were actual these were actual things that were actually happening, um, and I think there's historical there's uh, like other historical sources to to corroborate that. So when he was writing this, was he writing this out of a prophecy, or did he know these people and he was writing to them? He he probably knew these people. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that I saw. I'm very surprised to see in Revelation is I thought when when people uh, did whatever um, like they, they weren't repenting uh, that God punished them in the Old Testament and punished their families or kids and everything but here in Revelation which is the New Testament after Jesus came I see that they are the kids are still being punished and the relatives are being punished so can you clarify how like is it a misunderstanding on my part that it's an individual who does a mistake and pay for it or like if i don't repent why my kids should be paying the price the word individual doesn't really exist in orthodox christianity there's no such thing as an individual. What you do affects me. What I do affects you. We're like, we're like a fabric of people that are so densely interwoven amongst each other, 
right? So if my mom was praying is a saint, does it mean that it affects me? And even if I am the devil? It affects you and it affects all of us. You know, all of us will, uh, will, will benefit from her holiness and her and the effect that she had uh, and the effect that she had upon, upon you. However, that doesn't take away a person's free choice, right? So, for example, suppose, suppose I am a um, very dishonest person. And I'm very much given to stealing, right? In a small community, everything knows everything about everybody, right? You might refer to my children as the son of the thief or the daughter of the thief. When they are actually very righteous people and do anything wrong, right? However, that got carried over to them. Does that commit them to be forced to become thieves or to be to steal? No, right? However, that perception gets carried over, gets carried over to them. It's a very loose analogy. It's not perfect in any way, shape or form to show that there are effects of what we do. I've experienced this before. I men maybe mentioned it, I don't know, in this meeting or in other meetings or in a sermon or something that um, I, used to, I used to lead a prayer meeting for years, for uh, six years for mission and evangelism in downtown Montreal. And it's from that that we started um, serving, uh, doing street ministry and so on. And that was probably my first encounter with street ministry when I was about 17 or so. But it all came out of this prayer meeting. Um, every now and again, someone other than me would come to this prayer meeting and would like a, like a lot of people came to this prayer meeting most weeks like uh, there was a fair number of people but every now and again someone other than me would in their prayers out loud openly would repent of their sins um, f from all their heart and it would transform everything the, the, de the degree of earnestness and honesty of that person before God would transport all of us directly into the presence of God. And if you had no intention of repenting, <laughs> you would repent because you would see so clearly how holy God is now that you are directly in his presence. Um, so that that's an example of how we have we can have such a profound effect on each other, right? From a negative perspective, similar to the other things we we're talking about, when any one of us accepts sin willfully in our life, it's okay if I lie, right? And then somebody tells you, you know, I don't think you're so honest when you were talking to Fedi before, like, and they point it out. You say, well, it's, just, it's not a big deal, like. It's not like, I just said whatever, I just said anything because it's not like a big deal what I said, you know, and right? Then that makes it okay for the next person to do that and then the next person and the next person, right? So we have to kind of keep, we have to kind of keep all of that in mind that I have a responsibility for my own soul 
But to a certain degree, I have a responsibility to all of those with whom I share a bond of love. But there's a difference, Father, between my own kids and my brothers and sister in the group. Because yes, when we pray together, we affect each other's life. When we serve together, we affect each other's life. We learn, we, we grow, or, or the opposite side. If, if there is a sin, it doesn't help the others. But my, I don't know, I don't, I don't understand the idea that my, that somebody pay, else pays for my mistake. They're already paying. My kids, why? Sorry, I just. Uh, sorry. If I, I let me, no, 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 not at all, not at all. Mark is showing me a reference from Ezekiel 18, yeah. which is also sh talking about the same thing. It's very nice. Hmm? There's something also that says like, uh, "Was it your children and your iniquity to the third and fourth generation?" Yes, yeah. So there's a little a literal understanding for that, right? But let me give you a very simple and practical mm -hmm. example, which has to do with me. So we're not pointing the finger at, any, at anybody oh, else. You all know, you all, we're all friends here, and, and although this is recorded, but, you know, there's no secrets, right? <laughs> you all know when I'm praying and when I'm walking circumspectly in my relationship with God and when I'm not. There's no secrets, you know? Not because I say anything. You can see it in my eyes. You can hear it in my voice. You know whether I'm living in the fear of God, and I don't mean like I'm afraid of God, but I'm living in awe and reverence of Almighty God. Well, whether, yeah, you know, I'm eating and drinking and living my life willy-nilly, right? Now, I can tell God, well, it's not fair that your people should pay the price, okay? I'm lazy and, and inattentive uh, to my spiritual life and so on and so on, right? So it's not fair that your people should pay the price, you know? And God, you shouldn't come down and punish them. You should punish me, right? God would smile and say, they, they're already paying the price. Like, you think your sermons are what they would be if you were actually listening to me? Like, are you, do you get up to the pulpit so you can tell people what you think or tell them funny jokes and make them laugh or heartfelt stories and make, make their eyes tear up like is that are you up there to entertain people you're my mouthpiece have you forgotten right so it's not like something which will happen in the future it's something which is right it's something and the, the opposite is true as well right if if you see your brother or your sister walking very carefully in their relationship with God, being very careful, the word that they speak, they don't want to say anything to hurt anybody, to harm anybody. They go out of their way, they bend themselves into a pretzel to, to serve others and to care for them. And then I look to myself and I say, gee, wow, why am I so, let me do the same. Let me, let me work as hard as this person. Let me be as careful as this person and so on and so on, right? So it's not like, it's, it's not, and that's what I mean, like, this concept of individualism is completely absent in Orthodox spirituality. Like, there's, there's no such thing as me and you, and we are the body of Christ. 
If I'm a rotten apple, y'all are going to rot with me. Not because I'm the priest. More it's amplified when you're in leadership, for sure, right? But from the smallest to the greatest, right? Each one of us has a responsibility to the whole. So it's not like he's saying, it's not like he's saying because, of, because this woman is living in sexual immorality and participating in, participating in idol worship, right? And I gave her time to repent, but she didn't. So I will punish her and I'll punish the people who are, who are living in sin with her or doing sin, sinful things with her, right? And I will kill her children with death. They are already, what is death? Like when, and that's what I was pointing out in the resurrection. The, 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 like when God says to Adam, if you eat from this tree, he tells him, if you, he tells him, if you eat from this tree, you shall surely die by death. In the original languages, the word is there twice. You shall surely die by death. In the modern translations, they've taken that out because it sounds so redundant, almost like God is trying to be emphatic. Our, our Orthodox teaching is not that God is trying to be emphatic. He's not saying, like when Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you, assuredly, assuredly, I say unto you, indeed, I say to you. Sometimes Jesus says that, right? And he's putting emphasis, right? Yes, that is one method of rhetoric of speaking, right? But... We believe that God wasn't doing this to put emphasis. He was telling him, you will die by, you know, uh, intracardiac injection of potassium. You will die by, by the electric chair. You will die by poisoning. You will die by hanging. You will die by a firing squad. You will die by, what will you die by? You will die by this thing called death. Abra um, Adam had never seen death. He had no idea what this thing was, Right? And then people say, how come? And then the serpent comes and says to Eve, now did God say that you can't eat from any of the trees of the garden? He says, yeah, surely you won't die. And the serpent isn't actually lying. Because they ate from the, 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 the tree and they didn't die. So, Hold on a second. Maybe the serpent knows what he's talking about, right? This is after they ate, you know? So any remorse or whatever was rationally removed, right? Because we didn't die. Oh, we, she did. You didn't die that moment, maybe 921 years later. Yes, you know, whether those were 365 day years or whatever, it was a whole different conversation. But yes, they did die and they wouldn't have died. What happened? The seed of death and of corruption took seed in them. Right? So he, sa she's, he says here, I will kill her children with death. He's saying that what, death here is not understood as a, a punctual <laughs> event, but as a, a process, you know, of corruption, susceptibility to corruptibility. And corruption here is not understood in a figurative or a moral sense, but in a very literal sense, you know. That, like, rather than something which is preserved and lasts forever, it's something which decays and, you know, undergoes the laws of entropy and, you know, falls apart. And Sometimes when that happens to even to anybody, for example, if a, uh, a woman is like pregnant 
and she take like medication and don't, don't care about uh, herself. When she uh, 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 get like a baby, the baby get impacted by what happens. Absolutely. If um, if uh, uh, a pregnant mother um, uses narcotics during her pregnancy, either uh, for medical indications or illicitly or whatever, the baby goes through withdrawal. So when the baby is born, right, they go through withdrawal. So they actually put the baby on a morphine drip. You know, when, once the baby is born, the baby is zero hours old, and they put the baby on a morphine drip and they decrease it slowly to wean the baby off of, of, uh, of the opioids that the baby was subject to that entire time. So, um, so I think that's I think that's what he's making reference to here, you know. But it's all amplified because that she was a public figure and a person in leadership. What is the tree of life? Wow. I'll let you I'll let you all share while I pull up a quick reference. I think you said once in the discipleship that it's Christ himself. What? You said it was the cross. Yeah, and the fruit of the tree of life is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's in the fraction of Bright Saturday. It's in a fraction that we just said recently in the liturgy. Uh, where it says it says that, but let me see if if uh, I can find it for you. Yeah, and we believe, like, I think we believe them all actually to be the same thing. Is it a symbol? Hmm? Is it a symbol or, like, everything is today? Yeah. Jesus is everything. Just every reference to goodness, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is everything. Like, Bible Jeopardy, I would just go Jesus 100%. Exactly. If you, if that doesn't Alex. work, get your teammate to do Holy Spirit. <laughs> exactly. That'll probably between this and that, between this but and that. Nobody knows anything about the Father, so it's not it's not gonna be the Father, right? Yeah. Yes. I shall this question. Yes. Please go ahead. Yeah. Are we gonna have communion in heaven? I'm serious. Yeah, that's an excellent. Uh, I don't know the answer. I have this communion. In the so it's in the it's in the fraction of Joyous Saturday says, you have come, O our Master, and saved us through the true knowledge of your cross, and granted us the tree of life, which is your divine body and true blood. Right? 
Some of the fathers will say, you know, to be more specific, the tree is nobody eats. We rarely eat a tree. We usually eat the fruit which hangs from the tree, right? So he is, who is the one who, who hangs off a tree? The Lord Jesus Christ. And the fruit of which is to give life to the world, right? Which is also analogous very much to the altar table, right? But how, yes. how do you explain Revelation 9? It, say, it says, uh, 9-2, said <coughs> in the middle of its tree and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits. Mm. Uh, each tree, sorry, each tree uh, <coughs> yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the fruits, Revelation 9, 2. So, so, yeah, I get that the tree of life is the body uh, of Christ, but what about the 12 fruits uh, and the, and the it, like this fruit is every month um, bearing its bearing uh, bearing its fruit yeah. every uh, month by month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations mm -hmm. in John 15 is it Revelation 9 2 or I am mistaken? Verse 2. Is it not there? No. Okay, so I am mistaken. I don't know. That's what the search gave me. Um. We can try to Google the verse. Can you say it? Sorry? Can you say the verse again? I'll Google it try to find out where it is. Uh. I, I searched for Tree of Life, and this is what I got, Revelation 9 to. Okay, so it's... Um, um, I think it's 22-2. Revelation 22-2. Uh, okay. Revelation chapter 22? Yeah. Sorry, I was Not at all. <coughs> yeah. So... Why don't you guys share what what you think about that? Well, I'm just going to look up here what uh, what Abuna Tadras wants to tell us about that. Yeah, it's 22. Anytime I think about that, like Yeah. The twelve apostles. Mark was a heel for Egypt. Yes. Yes. Yeah. In John so what's 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 very particular about fruit? I, I I'm not a botanist, so I don't I want I'm not ready to say all fruit, but let's say almost all fruit. So inside the fruit is what? A seed. A seed. And inside the seed is what? Potential for new life. A whole new apple tree can grow out of one seed in one apple. Right? It's so it's like mind-boggling that there is like an apple tree. It's like the little Russian dolls, right? There's like an apple tree that has apples, right? That, and those apples have seeds. And that whole thing is inside just one seed, inside one apple, hanging on a tree. Like, 
You know, and it's like you can almost like it's like having you're dreaming of having a dream of having a dream of you know what I mean? Like, right? It's kind of right. And the, and and then so the and yeah, and then this is a, you know very much a reference to I, I think it's very much a reference to apostolic succession, mm-hmm. you know, right? Like Jesus, you know, who is like I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Ascends to heaven, sends to us the Holy Spirit, who is also the one who has the title of the life giver, right? And then all of a sudden, we become bearers of the life giver, and we are now carrying this seed, and then we give the seed, and from generation to generation, and so on, right? So that's that's what I would have what what I would have thought um, left to my own means. This this says he was. This bothers me. Hmm. Where was he? I think because he's describing, like, and this is what we ran into the last time we were talking about this, Sarah, like, right? So is this, so is this vision he's having of, of, of the city of God with the river of life that flows from the middle of it and the 12 and the, uh, and the, um, the tree and the tree of life. And uh, the twelve fruits, um, each a tree, each tree yielding fruit in its month, and so on. Is that all happening? When is when is this happening? So John is in the John is in the present moment, and he's seeing this. But what is he what he's seeing? When is that happening? In the. Oh, sorry. So what we said is the book, of, the, the book of Revelation is so, it's so hard to understand right. because it's not in chronological order. So in an effort to try to put things in, 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 um, in some sort of order so we can kind of understand them because that's how we understand things chronologically, you can look at things as, I mean, you can look at the very specific time points, but there's so many of them that it would get confusing. So let's just divide it into three periods from like from forever and ever before time began until the incarnation, which would include creation, the fall, all of that, from the incarnation until the second coming, and then from the second coming and <coughs> onwards forever and ever again, right? So St. John is, okay, St. John is in the present moment for himself, which is, which is in the past for us now. Right. Okay, but what he's seeing, right. where is that? Is it bef- before no, the incarnation, between, between the incarnation? Right. Yeah, no, there's just this Revelation chapter 22, verse 2 that Hanen brought our attention oh. to. Just as an exercise. So this is an image of the kingdom of God, which is forever and ever. Yeah, because uh, first verse talk about the Lamb of God, the throne of God, mm-hmm. and of the Lamb. I guess it's not fair because you need the context of actually chapter 21 as well. So this is an image of the kingdom of God, right? So it's certainly like the third period. Right. But 
now did that third period coexist in time? That's what we were saying last time is that God is outside of time. So these things that we see to be happening in one period, they're all kind of happening at the same time for God, right? So does this heaven exist, but none of us have like entered the kingdom of God yet? Like heaven, like the eternal destination yeah, maybe, you know, so maybe this actually existed from before creation. Um, so maybe it is in the past tense, but St. John is in the present tense of himself. Does that make sense? And he's describing what he saw. So I think that's why it's in the past tense. Well, yeah, to him, it would be the past because he saw it. Like, if you can imagine, like, time, like, first second is different from him, right? Mm -hmm. Because he exited our time and is in, like, God time and saw something and then came back to regular time. That's whatever he saw to him. Is in the past because he saw it already mm -hmm. and exists past it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. But I don't think to to, to to your question, Auntie Sue, I don't think that this is a, a reality that was something which was and is no longer. But rather, he's just saying, "This is what I saw." And then the number twelve. Does this have any significance? It does. So I, I would have attributed it to the twelve uh, to the to the twelve apostles. Uh, and here, not to the specifically like Peter, Andrew, James, John, and each one of them is a tree, and each one of them has it. But so, but the concept of apostleship and apostolic succession, you know, so I was ordained by Bishop Pachomius, who was between, you know, Pope Tuadros and Pope Shenouda as the locum tenens, right? Um, and Pope Shenouda was the like 117th patriarch, is that right? 16th patriarch, um, and before him was. Pope Cyril, and before him was Pope Eusab, and Pope Macarius, and so on, and that we can all trace that back to St. Mark, who was the first, and who received from Christ, which is kind of what we so, call apostolic so John, succession. the author of this revelation, was that the John that was by the cross was Jesus? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Almost every single uh, Bible scholar would, would agree with that. So the tree of life, oh, just here to answer the question, can you hold your question? Um, so um, multiple fathers, I can name them for you, Thaikon, the African, and Saint from the Syrian. Think of the cross as the tree of life. Uh, think of the tree of life as the cross uh, from which hangs its fruit, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um... um Yes. And what is, what is so particular about the tree of life? What is, or the fruit of the tree of life? What is the property of the fruit of the tree of life? It gives life. It gives life, right? What is St. Uh, um, uh, Ignatius of Antioch, the disciple of St. John, call the call Holy Communion? I say, said this like a multitude of sermons. He calls it the medicine of immortality right which goes back to our original you shall die by death so it's the it's the remedy for death i.e it is life right sorry you were saying no, sure that was 117 uh, i'm sorry yeah i thought so i, I just recall jesus when, when he uh, uh, told his disciples uh, who, uh, whoever uh, took 
will live forever. Yeah, precisely, in John 6. And it's mentioned in a multitude of the seasonal fractions of the year. We, we quote that. So here, um, about the 12, its fruits are 12, and this number is, indicates the children of the kingdom, as if the fruits are specially for them. In it, everyone finds his needs and his satisfaction. The early fathers, such as St. Basil, St. Augustine's father, John of Damascus, elaborated on how, uh, uh, on how flourishing eternity will be and the state of fullness in which each person who will be there will be. The prophet realized when he said, I had believed, this is about um, the, from the Psalms, um, I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So that's all Father Tadros writes about about the number twelve. Dina, you had a question. Oh, there's nothing. I want to go back to the chapters. Again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah. But do you have a question relating to this? Something slightly confused me. Mm. So when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of ate of the tree, tree of knowledge sermon, yeah, of good and evil, sermon, yes. Uh, God told them he put the cherubim and the seraphim to the east and the west, or I can't remember the directions, with a sword of fire, mm. lest they eat of the tree of the life. Tree of life, so, and that was before everything happened. That was before the fall. And if the tree of life is Jesus the cross, so was Jesus on the cross in paradise before Adam and Eve even went through the like even fell. Absolutely. So just another time. Absolutely. Say that again. So. <clears throat> I love this stuff. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Before Adam and Eve fell, or right after they fell, right. God said, "I will kill. I will send you out of the kingdom, right. lest you eat of the tree of life." Right. And he put the, the cherubim and the seraphim with a sword with fire in a circle around them so they don't go and eat out of the tree of life. So even before Adam and Eve had fell, and even before all that happened, the tree of life was in heaven. Jesus was on the cross in heaven with the fruits of the tree. So weren't they but like, out so that they wouldn't have from the tree of life? Yes, yes. but what, what Abram is saying is that that means that, the, that, means that it would have been possible for them to eat of the tree of life. So that Jesus was there on the cross even before Adam and Eve fell and they got this and they got that and they got David and David got this and then St. Mary came why and Jesus came. Why wouldn't God just let them stay and have the tree of life? Because oh, they would stay That's an excellent question. Why don't, we, why don't we, instead of having Holy Communion uh, like upstairs at the front of the church, why don't we just move it to the sidewalk and just give it to each person as they're walking. You know, what we can do is we can have people with surveys Delivery. asking people questions, right? And as soon as they open their mouth, the answer, BAM! You know, <laughs> right? Immortality. Medicine of immortality. Medicine of immortality, right? And we could save the world, right? What's the problem? Okay, I'm being very, I'm being very facetious. Like I'm joking around and being, but what's the problem with that? Why can't we just give Holy Communion to, to everybody and anybody? Like, don't we, want every, don't we want the whole world to be saved? Well, doesn't God want the whole world to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? So why not? Why do we put people through, like, <sighs> catechism and baptism and all this stuff? Sikhism. Yeah. Yes. They should take the decision for themselves. What else? What is the... The prerequisite for Christian or non-Christian to have Holy Communion. To be reconciled with God. Yeah. Right? Which is repentance. Right? The problem with Adam and Eve was that they had not yet 
repented. And having eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, their repentance now had to be an, a rational repentance. Because now they know. So now they have to understand, learn, or what, I don't know, whatever. It has to be a rational process. You know? It's not just they, they, they had ruptured their love relationship with God, which was largely erotic. Not in the in, 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 in a perverse, you know, necessarily car, like physical sense, but it was an irrational, intense love which they had for God and He had for them, right? And they were enjoying this irrational love with God, right? Like very much, very much like um, like like my daughter, you know, has always known who who I am, you know, oh, I had doubts when she was really small. I thought she thought, thought I was the mailman or whatever. She certainly knew who mommy was, you know, although like it's doubtful that there was a huge rational process going on there, you know, um, anyways, there's a multiple multitude of other examples we can give of that kind of irrational love. So right? were they eating from the tree of life before? I don't know the answer that I think the answer is no I know there is an answer and I've read it and I think from memory the answer is no but I don't want to mislead you, what, you what was your question going to be sir so were they eating I'm glad that you guys have that connection you know what she asked she asked she asked no not at all was the, no <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah no no no, no. Dina's asking if <laughs> Dina's asking, were, were they prior to the fall, were they eating from the tree, were they eating from the tree of life or not, right? If the tree of life was there, but they, were they eating from it or were they not eating from it? Would they need to? No. The book he gave me during the Holy Week about the seven words of the cross, mm -hmm. that author explained Separation from God. So when they were, when Adam and Eve were in uh, with God, they were alive. They don't have to eat anything. They were there with God. It's after they separate. Separation from God, and that's he defines this that way. And also, like I encourage you to think of communion, not necessarily as being limited to the act of holy communion but to the larger sense of the word, you know? This eating of the tree of life is communion, is calm, like community, like mul multiple people having union. All of us having union with, with God, right? So whether that happens through the mechanism of them simply being in God's presence and enjoying that love relationship with God, uninhibited and un obstructed by disobedience or whether they, there, was, there was a physical eating of the tree of life. I'm not aware, but I, I think from memory of, um, that they, they did not eat from the tree of life. So if I'm kind of summarizing the whole discussion between current communion and the tree of life in heaven, is that the tree of life is, um, you know, is the cross and the fruits are Christ. They did not eat from it until the fall. They did not eat from it at all. Oh, but 
It's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Completely, yeah. And that they had to leave, they were passed out so that and they, they couldn't eat from the tree of life. Oh, I see. So there was two trees, one called the tree of life, and another tree called the tree of life. You got it. I'm glad I asked that Tree of life. Yeah, you got it, you got it, yeah. And then there was the third one. <laughs> yeah. This is a botany, uh, uh, spiritual botany, uh, 101. So, they eat back from the eat of the, the tree of life because they have not been introduced to repentance, or they have not repented, so when they eat from it, it's equivalent to me have not repented for my sin and coming and having communion, kind of equivalency, at least, at the, the very least, it's analogous, or at, le- at the very least, that there's a, it's an analog. Yeah. Stephanie? Um, I'm going to ask something about the chapter. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Please do. Um, the, the Church of Ephesus, the Church of Ephesus, from the first one to the first two, so chapter two, uh, one to like six, um, seems to be a church that he's like the most pleased with, kind of, sort of. But then I, I wonder what he means, and this might have a very straightforward answer, when he says that you've left your first love and you've forgotten your first works, so what that means. And it makes reference to the, the original fall, but I just don't know what that first love and first works are. What does everyone else think? I was playing this It's four and five. I'm going to be honest, I can't lie. No. What's the question again? Sorry. So, it says, nevertheless, I have, so, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 says, nevertheless, I have against, I have this against you, that you have left your first love, and this is to the church of Ephesus. So he says, all, like, you're very patient, you've done things, you've labored in the name, for my namesake, you've done all these things, but then repent and do your first works, is what he's called them to do. So I'm wondering what the first works are, and what he means when he says that you've forgotten your first love. I think I heard I heard this in church once. Um, they said that the first the first love is the love that you have for your father. The first works that you do are works that you do for your father. And so these are the gifts that he gives you. Mm-hmm. And where you use these gifts. And most of the time we do things. We um, you know whatever the patience, the labor, whatever we do those things. But we forget the love. We have other things that we prioritize over God. So the love that we have for our husband or our children or our work or mm-hmm. whatever takes over the love of God, which should be that you love God first and then you love everything mm-hmm. else. And we don't necessarily follow that order. And that you use all the gifts that God gives to make money, to make these things, or whatever it is that you do, mm-hmm. and using it. Well, that's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that makes sense to me. What confuses me is then why he says that you've done, like you've done well in laboring for my namesake. Yeah. So what mm-hmm. is the difference between like laboring for my namesake and know. loving God? Like, that's the part that I'm, I'm very yeah. unsure of. Mm. What does everyone think? I think there is a difference between doing work and doing work out of love. That, that's how I would understand it. So the, the reference I'm thinking right now is, um, I'm not mistaken, with First Corinthians chapter 11. When St. Paul was talking about, you know, if I sacrifice my money, but I don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. 
where if I sacrifice my life, and life, and I actually, he said at some point, like, kill myself, but I don't have life, like, I sacrifice and kill myself for God, but I don't have love, then it's nothing if I sacrifice, like, if I do works, but the love itself is absent, then that doesn't mean anything. First Corinthians 13, yeah, verses 1 and 2, yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's kind of, it's, this is how I'm reading it that, that way, is there is the I do works, but the love itself is, is absent. That's how I would read it. I don't know if that's the right answer. Just like going through the motions without doing it from your heart. So the intention, it's kind of like someone like here's a sandwich, you know, doing like that, or like you have it on a plate, mm -hmm. and it's like, here you go. Told you all the story once about how uh, Mary really want Mary's my wife, and she really wanted an elliptical trainer. Sorry for those of you who heard this story before. Um, so uh, you know they had it at Costco or whatever. And so uh, Monday is like kind of my day off slash day to do stuff. I never have a day off, but like it's my day to do work at home, right? Uh, <laughs> so. Um, uh, so uh, it was like late in the day and I was really exhausted from a really, really busy weekend. And it was like six, seven, eight o'clock at night. It was winter. And uh, I told Mary, let's go to Costco and get that elliptical trainer that you really want. She said, you know, we really don't have to. I know you're really tired. She was really gracious about it. And I was like, no, no, let's go. I know you really want this. And then it'll get sold out. And then I'll never hear the end of it. And you'll just harass me day and night that, oh, we didn't get it. We didn't get it. This, that. Right from the get-go, I was a jerk, right? About it, right? Anyways, we go to Costco. I see this thing. It says it's 200 kilograms. And I'm like, what the? How? Like, what? Like, this is nuts. This is ridiculous. And I'm like, literally, I'm like stomping my feet and probably literally and certainly saying all kinds of things under my breath. And uh, I get somebody to help me to get it to the cash. We pay for it. That they help me to put it into the car. We get it in the car and Mary's, the whole time Mary's like, I don't think this is a good idea. I think you're really tired. I think this, right? And I'm like, no, let's just do this stinking elliptical train. We get it home. Uh, I used, our, our house, we used to, it used to have a, like a, a backyard, which was a walkout. So, and it was winter. So what I did is I just slid it down the, the slope beside the house on the snow and the ice. And then my neighbor saw me struggling with this massive box. And so he came to help me and we took it out piece by piece and brought it into the house. So now it's all these pieces lying in the basement floor and Mary's like I think we've, we've really done enough like I'll just tomorrow I'll assemble it and I'm like no I'll assemble it now and whatever and I was just really grumpy and bitter about the whole thing and of course when you're tired and you're bitter you, you, you don't really read the instructions properly so I made a multitude of mistakes and I had to backtrack anyways a couple of hours later the stinking elliptical was done and I was like there here's your elliptical can I go to bed now and the, Mary's just looking at me. She was like, okay, yeah. sure, you know? So, uh, so, so I learned a very obvious lesson that I guess I just needed to, to make all those mistakes and learn, um, which, um, which is that no matter how much effort and energy and expense you go to, if you don't do it with love, then it's almost worse than had you not done it at all, you know? 
And many times in my spiritual life, I've turned to God and I've told him, I've recognized that I was doing something with the wrong intentions. And I've told God, okay, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing. And many times, like I didn't hear a voice from heaven or anything, but I almost felt like God pressed the, the, the bucket of ice button, you know, where the, the massive bucket of ice falls on your head. And God would tell me, no, like a very intelligent person, not like don't stop doing a good thing with wrong intentions, continue doing a good thing, but change your intentions to do them with the right intentions if you realize that you're doing it with the wrong intentions. So I don't know if that kind of answers your question a little bit. I think also, just to touch on this, I think all, some people can, can remember a time when they walked with God and they really loved God more than they ever remember loving God ever before. Maybe you can relate to this, maybe you can't. Maybe you feel that way now. Maybe you look at your life right now and you say, truly and genuinely, I love God now more than I ever have ever loved Him before. Maybe you look at your life now and you say, I love God very much, but I remember those days where I was like, like in La La Land, like, and I had no idea, like I was just so in love with God. Maybe that's what he's referring to. Although we have a tendency in 21st century Christianity to really associate the word of love with emotion, whereas in 1st century Christianity, it was very much associated with action. So, I don't want to mislead you, you know. Um, maybe he's saying that, you know, I know your works, and maybe he's referring to stuff that they used to do before and are still kind of doing now, but they're not really kind of doing them very much anymore, certainly not with the same heart and the same intention, you know. Regardless, um, what's really beautiful that Father Tedros is saying is that he, he says to them, it's not like, Oh, those were the good old days, but now we're older and wiser and we're jaded. You know what I mean? And we've, you know, now, like, I, I can't possibly have that childlike faith I had when I was a child because I'm not a child anymore. Now I know the, 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 the truth and all of the atrocities that accompany it. And there's no way I can return to that childlike innocence and love. No, absolutely not. He's telling them, actually, he's encouraging them to return to it quickly. Right? We I, could... Mm, sorry. No, 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 please, please. Sorry, Father. Are you here later? I will be here for another hour and a half or so. Okay, we I need to talk. a message? Yes, yeah, we so need to talk. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry. Uh, no, I was gonna like ask my own question. But yeah, I yeah. To fill in no, no, no. Yeah. That's, okay. That's um, chapter two, verse twenty. Again, just at the end there, it says, uh, "My fur, my servants, to commit sexual immortality." So that I can easily just like picture in the twenty-first century. But and eat things sacrificed to idols. So I want to see how that. Like I see that quite often, but like made sense more when Saint Paul was saying it. Um, or I could like envision Balaam and like King Solomon and all the other idols that they had. But to, in like today, what would be an example if you have any of things 
that we partake in that are sacrificed to idols. So, um, it's important not to get this confused with Acts 15 when they have the Council of Jerusalem and they tell the Gentiles, you know, no, you don't need to be circumcised, but uh, just refrain from these things, sexual immorality, things offered to idols and, uh, you know, eating things with their blood. Um, and when St. Paul talks about, you know, like, I don't care where this meat came from. Did it come from meat that was offered to idols or not offered to idols? I don't care. You know, like, it doesn't make a difference to me, right? They're just like, the idols are just stone. So it sounds like there's a contradiction there. And what is all of this talking about? And obviously Jesus cares a whole lot about this. But St. Paul doesn't seem to care too much about it. The apostles seem to think that was something that was important to carry over from Judaism to the new Christians. You know, though they may not need to get circumcised and become Jews before they become Christians, but this is something kind of important. So what's all of this business of? So basically, in first century Christianity, they had, uh, 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 the other religions had their gods, and they offer things to their gods. Now, because their gods, uh, you know, were not real, you know, they couldn't really eat the things that, that, that were offered to them or consume them, right? So uh, oftentimes, these things would then get sold later on in the meat market, right? And they would get sold like they might, like there was maybe a price differential between things that were not offered to idols and things that were. Um, so, St. Paul is saying, look, if I come over to your place for dinner, I don't need to ask you, like, now this roast, did you buy it from this butcher or from that butcher, you know? And ask all these questions for conscience sake, I should accept whatever is being offered and offer thanksgiving, and when at what's thanksgiving, it is an offering back to God. So I'm actually taking this which was offered to stone like rocks and trees, right? Like, which is nonsense. And, I'm, and I am offering it to the living God. And so it is made holy by the God to whom I'm offering it, right? Even if you who invited me over to your house are pagan, I'm not, and I'm a priest of the Most High God. And he's not saying this to the, saying this to the, like to the, every believer, not to, uh, to the ordained priesthood, right? Um, and so it is sanctified by my thanksgiving, right? So then what's St. Paul talking about here and what's Saint, what, what are the apostles talking about there? Uh, what's Lord Jesus Christ talking about here and the apostles talking about in Acts 15? They're talking about participating in idol worship. Well, what's the connection between idol worship and sexual immorality? You'll notice that in the Old Testament, the two are almost equated. That worshiping other gods was basically like cheating on your god. Right? Like cheating on your wife, like infidelity, like unfaithfulness, right? To God, the two are hand in hand. Why? Because, as we'll see in Revelation uh, 20, 21, and 22, we are the bride of Christ. So whenever we give ourselves to another God, we are, we are essentially cheating on our husband, which is our God. But God doesn't have to be a or an idol, it could be money. Right? The obsession of something, not necessarily. Yeah. 
Absolutely, which was kind of like your question from mm -hmm. on a very practical level, right? In this sense of now we sit in God every minute, every hour. And the book of Hosea is beautiful because the whole book of Hosea is this one long love story of this righteous man married to a prostitute and she keeps cheating on him again and again and again and he keeps chasing her despite the fact that she's cheating on him and God is using all of this as a living example to the people of Israel and saying this is what you're doing right but also not only this is what you're doing but this is also what I'm doing right but the book of Revelation is also showing us that there's a certain there's a certain element of finality like this 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 story of me cheating on God and him chasing me and me repenting and then living in in his glory and enjoying it and then cheating on him again and this whole thing is gonna end <laughs> like this is, we're not gonna keep going in this cycle forever you know right so where are the chips gonna fall when it when it ends you know right Yes, yeah, like I don't think, I, I don't think, I don't want to put words in God's mouth, but I don't think the issue here is really whether that, wh whether the meat is sacrificed to idols. Anyways, that's how St. Paul is talking about it in, in Romans, Romans or Corinthians? Romans, I believe, oh, yeah, yeah uh, 14, 15, right? Um, right? St. Paul was very positive. St. Paul wasn't someone who would say, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Okay, I'm a sinner, so now what? I repent, I'll confess, I'll live in the glory of the kingdom of God, I'll live in his kingdom now, I'll live in communion with him. He was very forward-thinking and very positive. Okay, this meat was sacrificed to idols, so we should like just burn it or what? No, I should take it, I should offer it back to God, right? And in offering it to him, he makes it holy. And whatever, nothing is beyond God's capacity to be sanctified and to be holy, right? But that's very different from like eating meat which has been sacrificed to idols in, uh, in a context of worshipping the idols, you know? <laughs> right? They're very, 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 very different, right? Where I'm continuing to worship the idols versus you know i'm taking the meat and offering it to god that it may be sanctified by him right and also saint paul concern was like if this meat will offend my brother conscience mm -hmm. so he was like he was caring more about like also my other like my other believers and, yes and, and, and us. yeah exactly exactly so if it's just the interest of time there's so much that we could uh we could discuss and I've always thought to myself if we ever did a retreat on the book of Revelation we would do a workshop where we would all divide up and each take a letter to the churches and you know see like who is Jesus what is the state of the church you know what is the what is the remedy and what is the reward right and present it to each other and sit and pray and ask God what are you trying to say to me like I, I 
I, I like, like if you take anything from all of what you heard today, like I told you a lot of these details, who are the Nicolaitans and who is Jezebel, whatever, I have to look them up every single time. Like, like whether you remember it or not, good for you, you know, like I certainly have difficulty remembering these things, right? But what I think like the best thing we can do is when you get home tonight, like try not to get home so late that you're not able to read or think and sit and read these two chapters again to yourself. They took us like, like four minutes to read both chapters and ask yourself, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? You are both grace and truth. What is the truth, Lord, of who I am and who I have been in my relationship with you? Have I forsaken my first love? Am I persecuted and I'm, a, and I, and I'm about to give out? And I'm, a, and I'm about to give up? Am I, do I look okay on the outside, but I'm corrupt on the inside? Am I dead? Outside I have a form that I'm alive, that I'm like, like a tomb, beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. Have I been faithful to you and all you're asking me to do, Lord, is just, just hang on there for a little bit longer? Or have I grown lukewarm? And we'll find, we'll find whatever, where, whatever your self-diagnosis is. And try not to make it a self-diagnosis, but try to let the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally, to move in, in my heart and to, to offer me an honest... Um, not necessarily a rebuke, maybe a rebuke, or maybe just an, an honest word of where, where I am right now. Know that the remedy follows it right away, and the reward follows it there too. So read the remedy and ask God and sit and ask God, Lord, like St. Paul did, like Saul of Tarsus did on the Damascus Road, Lord, what do you want me to do? Right? Am I lukewarm? He says... You're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, naked, like you have nothing. Come to me and buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich. Buy from where, Lord? Where will I find the money to come and buy pure gold refined in the fire from you, if I myself am poor? Have this dialogue, have this dialogue with God. You'll find you're speaking with God and He is answering you, speaking with you in the Scriptures. Each one of us, may each one of us, almost like before we enter, like in chapter 4 and 5, we're going to enter the throne room. We're going to see God in all His glory. We're going to sing with the angels, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We're going to see the 24 elders with their bowls of incense and the four incorporeal creatures. And we're, we're, gonna, we're about to launch into glory. So similar to the tree of life and to Holy Communion and to all of our conversations, let us have a, mo a moment of honest repentance before God, before we launch into all of this glory so we can really enjoy it for all that it is. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Lord God, each one of us is coming to you. I first and foremost, Lord, naked and blind and poor and wretched, lukewarm and dead and corrupt and persecuted, maybe a little faithful, maybe loveless, Lord. All of, all of these 
But maybe, Lord, you have a specific word to me, or maybe all of these things, Lord. Lord, here I am at your feet, asking you, Lord, for the remedy for my soul, to make me alive again in you, to make me again return to my first love, to make me again clothed, to make me again, Lord, perseverant in, in the context of persecution, the context of immorality all around me. Please, Lord, each one of us is asking you, is begging you from our hearts, please, Lord, give me the remedy. And also, I am greedy, Lord. Give me the reward. Please, Lord, let me be the one of whom you speak, Lord. The one to whom the Spirit is speaking. You say, Lord, when you say, Lord, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Please, Lord, give me the ear that can hear what your Spirit is saying. Let me not see these words to be a condemnation of my neighbor. Oh, how awful the person sitting next to me is. How corrupt, how loveless, how... But that these words are for me. And also, Lord, I'm greedy that this reward is also for me to enjoy with you in your kingdom forever and ever. In the name of the mighty, victorious, triumphant, life-giving name of Jesus, through the intercessions and prayers of all those who have gone on before us, hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil In Christ Jesus our Lord, the divine Before we finish, I just want to introduce you to a little boy. His name is Dawood. Um, um, he's four years old, and he's actually in ICU right now. And I uh, just visited him before coming, and uh, they're really, like, I used to, to take care of patients, nice to you all the time, children, nice to you all the time, so I'm very <laughs> familiar. He is, like, beyond the extents of medical care. Um, he will either live or die tonight. So I just ask you to pray for him, to pray for his uh, family, Dawood. I, I, now he doesn't obviously look like this, but I asked them to send me a picture of him so that just makes it a little bit more real for you. You pray for him. Is he in the ICU? Yeah, he's in the ICU. They don't, they don't allow visitors. Like, uh, like one, only one or two visitors at a time. Yeah. If he moves to a room and recovers, yeah. we could maybe arrange to see him. Absolutely. Um, just to inspire you, um, I've told this story before, forgive me, I'll just uh, tell it again.